Hey homies, I'm Katie, I'm Sydney, and this is Something Sick. Wow. We are back. We're back. We're both pretty tired today. <laughs> we got vaccinated on the weekend. Hey, get vaccines, guys. It's yeah. cool. We kind of feel like crap after I it, but felt like I was dying. <laughs> my arm is still killing me. Yeah. And it's been three days, mm-hmm. four days. I don't know. I don't know. But vaccines are cool. Get them when you can. Heck yeah. It's worth it. Definitely. We made it a year without getting sick. So we did. Proud of us. Yep. Yeah. But that's why we are recording on a weeknight this week instead of a weekend. We also saw both of our families. We did. So it's been busy for us. It's been busy and we're recording on a different day and it feels weird. Yeah. So but. forgive us if we sound weird at all. I don't know. But but here we are. And we're ready. And this week we're, and next week. We're introducing our concept that we thought of when we were thinking about our podcast called a duo. Because there's some cases that have either two parts that are true crime or it's a case where there's true crime and then haunted stuff. And so we want to split those up into two and each of us talk about half of it heck yeah and also people always call us a duo yeah and so, so we felt like perfect yeah it was fitting so this one is a big one it's heck big yeah. in the social world right now yeah it's very big this week yeah. we're talking about the CISO hotel and next week sydney's gonna be talking about elisa lamb so stick around if you're, this interests you <laughs> are we ready i'm so ready okay i'm talking about history other deaths that happened in the hotel and it's just kind of spooky, so. Yeah, and I'm very excited to hear this because, like, There's we did our lot. research, like, separately, so. Yeah. Although I know about the Cecil Hotel, I don't know everything that Katie's found out, so I'm excited. Yeah, okay. So, the building is located at 640 South Main Street in downtown Los Angeles, and the Cecil Hotel is notorious. It's become known by most of the world, probably knows about it, honestly, at this at point. This point. Yeah. So, the hotel opened on December 20th, 1924, so almost 100 years ago. That's coming up. crazy. It's coming up. And they're closed right now. Spoiler yeah. alert, but they're closed right now. The vision behind the Cecil Hotel was for it to be a destination for tourists and business travelers. It was built by, there's a lot of names and I'm probably going to get these wrong. And I don't know why I included them. I just feel like it's Give interesting. Them to me. <laughs> yeah. William Banks Hanner, Charles L. Dix, and Robert H. Shops, I think. They were hoteliers. Ooh, and fancy. It was the building was designed by Loy Lester Smith and construct, constructed by W.W. Payton. Loy? Like Loy. Roy with an L? Yeah. Okay. Loy Lester. If I, that's a typo, someone can tell me, but I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> I hope Loy it's Lester. <laughs> the ho- okay, so this next thing, when I Googled this, it gave me two different answers 19 or 14 floors. It is 14. That's I what I thought. Up. But it's like some people will say they're going to the 15th floor and it's because it doesn't have a 13th floor. Like hotels yeah. like don't have a 13th but floor. But also Google says 19. I saw that. But I don't know why. Everything else that I looked at so says 14. 14. And I mean, when you look at the elevator, it says 15 or whatever yeah. because of that. But I'm very confused why it says 19 yeah, in some I think places. Google's just wrong, maybe. I Googled it because I was like, that seems wrong. And yeah. both numbers came up. There's also 700 rooms for guests. And eventually it was like 
half hotel kind of rooms, half like suites, apartment styles. But So the cost to complete the hotel was $1.5 million. It included a grand marble lobby, stained glass windows, statues made of alabaster, and palm trees potted inside. Fancy. Uh, yeah, very fancy. Overall, the three hotel owners invested roughly $2.5 million in the Cecil because they discovered a few other similar hotels were being built downtown. So it's a lot of money. Back then? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. And then, well, this next part explains why that's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, only five years after the Cecil opened in 1924, the United States sank into the Great Depression. Yeah, that was not the best investment. The hotel did manage to do a bit better in the 40s, I think. But the hotel and the area around it continued to decline over the next several decades, and an increase of transients in the area made the area become became made the area to become known as Skid Row. There were as many as ten thousand homeless people living within four miles of the hotel, which is just so sad. Have you did you watch any of the Netflix documentary yet? I only watched a little bit okay. of it. There was one part where they were talking about Skid Row. Yeah, and it is fifty six blocks. Dang, I didn't know that. No. That's but insane. That's a lot of homeless people. I know. But there was a guy in the documentary yeah. who talked about it, and he was, like, very informed and very mm. interesting to listen to. And I want to listen to him, like, have his own show about, about it. it cause, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, continue. There is a sign on the side of the Cecil that reads, Hotel Cecil, low daily weekly rates, 700 rooms. The sign originally said monthly instead of daily, so you can still, like, see part of the word monthly. And that's why daily is like off center compared to everything else. Hmm. I don't know why they didn't just get rid of that, but just make a new sign. Just shoved it over a little bit. Uh, in 2007, after decades of deaths occurring at the hotel, part of the Cecil Hotel was rebranded as Stay on Main. And this part of the hotel had a separate reception area, but inside everything else was shared facilities. And the website stayed as the CecilHotel.com, which doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, a New York City hotelier, Richard Bourne, bought the Cecil. Cecil Hotel in 2014 for $30 million. And then after this, Simon Barron Development, which is a New York-based company as well, leased the property with a 99-year ground lease. I don't know what that means. I didn't know what that was either. I looked it up. (laughs) I don't fully understand it, but basically it's when a tenant has permission to develop a property during the lease period. And then after the lease is over, the owner and like all the land and all the improvements go back to the owner like they get just get to keep all of that and 99 years is typically the longest lease you can get on that but I think now you can legally get more but I don't understand I, the purpose of interesting. it interesting <laughs> I was like looking on a website about it and then I was like it was getting really technical and I was like I don't have the I brain understand capacity. that it's probably like it's like you're investing and it goes to your family when you die or whatever but like I don't understand well for me I don't understand like I understand why the owner would do it yeah I don't understand why someone would lease it like that and like put so much money and stuff into it and then I eventually just give just it like, back I don't care I'm not gonna live <laughs> that long I yeah. guess I don't understand that's weird yeah but okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's who still has the lease for it, obviously. And in 2016, the president of the company, Matt Barron, made a statement that he was committed to preserving the architecturally and historically significant parts of the building, like the marble lobby. But then he continued on to say that he's also committed to that. While he's committed to that, sorry, his company did plan on completely redeveloping the interior areas and fixing the hodgepodge, that was in quotes, 
I just think it's a fun word okay. of work that and changes that have been happening over the past several years. Because honestly, the inside of it is yeah. a mess. Like yeah. none of the floors are the same. Like everything's just chaotic. The development company also planned to renovate the rooms, add a gym, a lounge, and a rooftop pool. So they want to like spruce it up a lot. Maybe not the rooftop pool. I don't pool like the rooftop the pool thing. Okay. No, but you know, maybe if it becomes a better place. If they put money yeah. into the area, it can be nicer for people and hopefully... I don't know. The history is just so sad that it just draws people in. But they said, let us gentrify this history as well. Yeah. They are reportedly set to spend about $100 million. Yeah, that's a big project. Yeah. That's a big hotel. Yeah, no kidding. Because they started to work that work in 2017. So they closed the Cecil Hotel down. And then the project was estimated to be completed sometime this year in 2021. I'm not sure what the plan is on that with COVID happening. They let Ghost Adventures go in there in 2020. So I don't know. They might not be the most committed to. No. And it didn't look good when Ghost Adventures was there. No, it didn't look like they had done much. I don't understand like where all, I guess they just threw out all the furniture from the inside of the building. Yeah. But it's still just like really chaotic in there. There's just random pieces of furniture in some of the rooms. And the sinks looked bad, which I'll talk about a sink later, which yeah. is why I know that. But like, it does not look good. Yeah. They haven't done anything. It's it looks very, like. But yeah, they have a 99 year lease. Well, they got 99 years to finish it. And they so can't really open right now anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, the city of Los Angeles, they're City Council voted in February 2017 to make the Caesar Hotel a historic cultural monument due to its representation of the early 20th century American hotels. And I guess the architect is really important, so it had to do something about the historic significance of his work. Okay, I don't, cool. didn't see much about that, but... So now that's the history that I found. Probably could have found more. That's but fine. Now we're getting to like the deaths and the murders and everything that went on there, which is Great. why you're all listening, <laughs> but it's shame on you. <laughs> Just kidding. Shame on us. They're shame on you, but uh, we're going to keep talking about it. Yeah. And I just spent a lot of time reading about this stuff. So. Okay. So the Cecil Hotel's dark history began pretty early on in the life of the hotel. The first documented suicide. Also just trigger warning for the rest of this. It's a lot of suicide and death and sexual assault. And just I'm not going to go into detail by any means because that's not what we're about. But it's probably sometimes going to be triggering and not great. And I won't blame you if you don't listen to this. So yeah. Totally understand. You don't have to. The first documented suicide occurred in 1927, and at least 13 more happened at the hotel throughout the years. Documented. Who knows how many they didn't Mm -hmm. report. There's just a lot of random people in and out, you know? Uh, After years of death occurring at the Cecil, two long-term residents of the hotel referred to it as the suicide in 2008, which has quickly become a popular nickname online, on social media. Very unfortunate. I don't like that. Me neither. Why would you call something that? That's only going to make more, yeah. like, draw more people who are desperate. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like that. No. Um, beyond suicide, the CISO also was home to a lot of other violent and dark activities, such as murder. Two serial killers, who I'll talk about in a second, stayed there. Uh, the hotel was also an infamous location for adultery, drugs, and sex workers, which is do your thing if you want to, but... It's unfortunate, like, other dark stuff that happened there Mm -hmm. that made it unsafe, you know? Um, There is a rumor that I've seen, and I'm sure you've heard it, is that Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, had been spotted there a couple days before her death. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. There's no real evidence to back up that claim. It was said that she had been there. So a researcher, Hadley Mears, 
made the claim in 2015 while researching the hotel for an article and claimed that she had been there on January 11th which is she went miss she was found her body was found January 15th which okay. also we're probably going to be talking about the black dolly yeah so we'll go and in depth yeah. on that at some point i'm sure so the claim was based on a column written in 1995 so this was this person wrote it in 2015 based on a column written in 1995 by a man named Steve Harvey i don't think it's the same <laughs> i don't think it's the same what one what if it was though i'm just imagining him writing this which i it's like why would he has he, a dark past we didn't know why about. would he write this <laughs> i don't know this steve harvey maybe the same one was a scribe <laughs> for the la times a scribe yeah that makes me think of like ancient times yeah well 1995 <laughs> they probably still exist so harvey did not fact check quoted <laughs> And another author. So these are two authors. It's like a game of telephone. Ken Schessler, something like that, uh, wrote a book called This is Hollywood. And Harvey quoted Schessler, who then mirrors later, read, On January 11, 1947, just three days before she was murdered, the Black Dahlia was seen in the bar in the Cecil Hotel with a girlfriend and two sailors. In fact, the hotel and the bars in the same block, including the dugout next door, were some of Elizabeth Short's favorite hangouts during the week before she was killed. Uh, this was pretty quickly dismissed, like disproved because the LAPD has records stating that Elizabeth Short's last known whereabouts alive was January 9th, 1947 at the Millennium Biltmore Hotel and then was never seen alive again until her body was found January 15th in an empty field. So, okay, who said that? Like, that's definitely just someone like taking the history of the Cecil and it's already like And it's the close dark to where she was. They were like, like, oh, you, let's throw something else dark in there. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's make it even more notorious. Yeah. Like, Anyways, I just wanted to dispute that because if the police department has record, like if no one else, if there's only been like one person saying that and then. And it's not even something that the police would have any reason to cover up. No, like Like it it wasn't like a cop was the prime suspect in her murder or something. So there's no reason for them. Like, yeah, no. So that's that. I don't think she was there. Don't let anyone tell you, especially if they're basing it off of one person who <laughs> Steve Harvey, <laughs> who stole it from some, who took it from, who read someone else's work. I don't know. Bad game on telephone, like you said. Yeah. So now we're going to talk a little bit about Richard Ramirez, aka the Night Stalker. We don't really ever want to cover this. I like. I doubt it. I if, won't. I don't if even. People really want it. Maybe. Yeah, but it would have to be like. A lot of people really wanting me. <laughs> it's just so awful. Yeah, I'm really only everything talking that about he does this. is just so nasty. Yeah. Just, yeah, and I'm really only talking about this because <laughs> Ghost Adventures. Why are they letting them tell me what to do? Never let but Zach Bacon's tell you what to they, do. They when they went there to investigate during quarantine, they talked a bit about Richard Ramirez, and I thought thought it was a little interesting. So I and I also just to appease people that want to hear this case, I did a little bit very minimal. So I'll just tell you a little bit about it. This was in the 1980s. Richard Ramirez stayed at the Cecil Hotel. He was a pretty usual presence on Skid Row. Most people knew him and the hotel clerk that said that they had spoken to Ramirez claimed that he had stayed at the Cecil for a few weeks. It was possible that while he was staying at the Cecil on the 14th floor, creepy up there, that he hadn't been engaging in part of his killing spree. I don't know if that's ever been confirmed that he did that while he's saying there but it's suspected and i wrote again just to be clear we really don't want to cover this case sorry if you really love like 
Richard Ramirez. If I don't like even want to watch the Netflix thing killer. about it. I haven't watched it yet. No, I don't know. Something about him just really... I do cr- like the way he was caught because that's iconic that yeah. he got like chased by a mob, but... <laughs> yeah. Okay. I do have a little bit about him. So if you don't know, Richard Ramirez was an American serial killer, serial rapist, kidnapper, pedophile, and burglar. So that just tells, doesn't shit. tell you why we don't want to talk about him. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know how to make you understand that. Uh, For over a year, he terrorized Los Angeles and the San Francisco Bay Area from June 1984 to August 1985. He was given the nicknames of Valley Intruder and the Night Stalker. He used a lot of different weapons, such as guns, knives, and even satanic imagery, which they talk about on Ghost Adventures. Mm -hmm. And to top it all off, he never showed any remorse for what he did to people. I hate hate people that are like i hate that they he was messed up oh yeah uh he was convicted for 13 counts of murder five attempted murders 11 sexual assaults and 14 burglaries in 1989 the judge who upheld his 19 death sentences (laughs) stated that ramirez's actions displayed cruelty callousness and viciousness beyond any human understanding yeah he died on death row from complications from cancer well he deserves it. Yep. 19. And I feel confident saying that. Yeah. <laughs> so not, we don't want to talk about that death no. penalty. Cool. Okay. Got it. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened on Ghost Avengers. I'm going to like pop back and forth. Cool. And honestly, I didn't take too many notes from it. I just took stuff I thought was interesting. So also, this is Ghost Adventures. Don't take it as 100% fact. <laughs> just, True. It, it could just be totally fake. I don't know. So. To start we trust up, Aaron. Yeah. Also, also, the one thing I really hated was that they kept trying to connect Richard Ramirez and his presence to Elisa Lamb's death, which I just hated. Yeah. So that's also why I'm like, don't take this with much credit because I, I hate yeah. it. So with that being said, I'm going to fa- say what they found, but I really don't like that they made that assumption. So our first, the first half of the thing was about Lisa Lamb and Richard Ramirez. So they had a psychic woman go into Richard's room on the 14th floor and like left her there to draw and everything. And she sensed a, malevol- a malevolent presence like right off the bat. And then when her husband came back after they had gone up to the roof or whatever, he said, hey, killer, which Zach was like, why did you say that? Like they didn't know where she was. And then the woman looks at them and says, I want to know who is a murderer right here. And they're like, why are you asking? Like she didn't know. Mm hmm. And then the husband went with Zach and Aaron to Elisa's room on the fourth floor. Uh, and the psychic said, Richard is here and he wants to talk to you. Points at Zach. And then Zach got confused. And then Jay's like filming behind him and a red scratch starts appearing on the back of his neck. Richard said, you got me after that. And then Zach, <laughs> this is funny. Zach says he doesn't feel very good. And the psychic said, Ramirez said, tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> tough shit. <laughs> And then Zach gets a stabbing feeling near his eye, leaves the room. There's a welt on his eye. Ghosts just really like to mess with his eyes, yeah. which is really unfortunate. I do feel bad for him I in that. I do feel bad. <laughs> because his eyes got messed up from being at a demon house. And now he's getting hit in the eye. With, by, by potentially Richard by Richard Ramirez. <laughs> anyway it's not funny but it's kind of funny and then they're sitting okay so then they go and sit in the lobby and zach didn't tell anyone about this but he then tells everyone hey before everyone else came in i put two of richard ramirez's drawings in the closets in his room without telling anyone so that's why he was like you got me and both of the painting or both of the drawings had pentagrams on them super great so then 
They're talking about it. They're near the room. Aaron starts getting really aggressive and acting strange. Keeps walking towards windows. That's I didn't concerning. like that. That part was scary. No. And I'll talk about it later. But they had another psychic who kept doing that too. Like, I don't like that they were all doing that. And then they go into Richard's room. Aaron wanders off. No one knows where he is. And he starts getting like really aggressive towards them again. And like, they're all fighting with each other in his room. And they're like, why am I mad at you? Like, I don't know. And then they place later the two drawings in the middle of the floor together. And Aaron had the ovulus out. That's where they pick words out of the device. Yes. And Aaron asked, I think he was about to leave the room and Billy was going to stay in there by himself. And he said, do you like these drawings we bought that we brought you? And the ovulus said, thank. Like, thank. One singular thing. Thank. Thanks for bringing me my pa- my drawings, Ooh. like with my pentagrams. No. And one of you is going to stay in here. No. But that was really the last Richard Ramirez thing that really happened. So, so maybe his ghost is there. Maybe. maybe not. But I don't think if his spirit is there, I don't think he had anything to do with Lisa Lamb dying. No. Like, I don't know why they made that. No. They just wanted to be creepy. So uh, in 1991, moving on, 1991, another serial killer stayed at the Cecil. This was Jack Unterweger, is that how you say it? In Austria, from Austria. So it is believed that Jack was seeking possibly to copy Richard Ramirez's crimes. I really hate when they do that. Gross. Can't even be original. I'm just kidding. Pick a better role model. <laughs> Pick a better role model than a serial killer. No kidding. Uh, like anyone. Not anyone. Well, <laughs> maybe just... Yeah. But like, there's a lot of better choices. Yeah. Maybe like Mother Teresa. I don't know. Pick a better role model. The Pope. Than, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Jack, when he was staying at the hotel, stayed in room 712, according to his story on Ghost Adventures. Let's let's do with that what we will. But uh, I love that this is like one of your main sources and we don't <laughs> totally trust it. Well, this is not even like the meat yeah. of, the sub- yeah. of the subjects that I have. I just, this is the jokey part where we're trying to make light of something that's terrible and we don't really want to talk about. This is a true crime comedy podcast. We gotta have some laughs. Yeah, we're making fun of people like Zach Bagans and a serial killer. I don't know how you could be offended. (laughs) All of the Zach stands are coming for us. We love his show, don't get us wrong. We're really excited. Oh, and the premiere is starting this week and we will be watching it. But we will say, Zach, stop the whole whole time. time. Anyway, back to... This other serial killer, Jack Unterweger. I also don't really want to cover this one. I haven't fully decided if I will never want to do this one. I think if we went to Australia, maybe I would cover this one. Or Austria. Austria? Wrong <laughs> if we went to Austria, which I feel like we might have a listener in Austria or close to there. If you're our listener in Austria. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I, I feel like I've, so, I don't but know. Be our first. <laughs> So basic. So while staying at the hotel, I'll go into more detail of his actual crime story. I don't know in a second. Not super like Richard Ramirez kind of detail. So while staying at the hotel, Unterweger strangled and murdered three sex workers, which he did end up being convicted for later in Austria. Good. So they also did find some stuff to connect him to the hotel at Ghost Adventures. So that's also it was a little more convincing than the Richard Ramirez stuff, I guess. So. This is the backstory of Jack Unterweger. So he was a serial killer from Austria who murdered individuals in Austria, West Germany, Czechoslovakia, and the United States. In 1974, Unterweger was originally convicted of one murder after strangling a woman with her own bra, which became his M.O. I hate that. Uh, How are you going to let him go? I just don't. Well, 
Yeah, I know you're going to tell and me. And then in prison, so... he wrote a lot. Just wrote a lot. Wrote a lot of stuff. Of what? I don't know. I'd, okay. Like, I think whatever it was gained the attention of the literary community. Like, the elite Richard literary. Ramirez fan fiction? I don't think so. I think it was like... Oh, I guess this is pre-Richard Ramirez. Uh, yeah, it anyway. was. Yeah. But, like, he wrote... It was, like, good enough that the elite of Austria really... Why, listen, with Zach Bagans and Richard Ramirez is like artwork and then this murderer's freaking writings, why are we giving them a platform it gets at worse. all? Oh my gosh. Uh, so this led to those people wanting like to use this, his writings, as evidence that he has been rehabilitated. He was in prison for like 15 years for murdering this woman with her own bra, but he got out because they're like, he's rehabilitated. He's writing really well. Uh, <laughs> I... I know. He was released on parole in 1990. That's he, ridiculous. Yeah. He became a minor celebrity in Austria. And he began working as a journalist and a playwright. And then, not only did he find work, but he also resumed killing women within months of being released. Of course he did. He's re rehabilitated. Yeah. He consistently strangled women with their own bras. And I just can't express how much I hate that. And people were, I think people were starting to get kind of suspicious on it, about him. Because once the kill like the killing was happening and they are I think some people were like, It's probably him and then it stops and he goes to LA and it starts again. Oh my gosh. I know. So he went to LA and stayed at the Cecil because he was going there for an Austrian magazine to write about crime in LA and the differences in, pro in the attitudes towards prostitution between like America and European countries. They said, Yeah, let's get that writer who was a murderer out here. Yeah to write about crime and prostitutions who sex workers were his victims. So this job gave him the opportunity to arrange drive-alongs with the police and always had sex workers up to his room to talk to them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> scream. So this is a, like not graphic, but a bit graphic. So skip ahead if you don't. It's just kind of gross. It's like sexual assault, not a lot, but it just, so he beat, sexually assaulted with tree branches and strangled with her own bras three sex workers that we know of in LA named Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Peggy Booth. Oh. And yeah, I don't know if there's more. I think that's what they found. Like three has been pretty consistent mm -hmm. in LA. He was eventually arrested in Miami, Florida after being on the run with his girlfriend in 1992. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he had a girlfriend. I don't Girl. have her name, but he had a girlfriend. What the heck? They went on the run to Florida. Ugh. One thing Florida has done right, caught a serial killer. They caught him and they caught Ted Bundy. Yeah. So. So. He was. Props to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> to a better Florida. <laughs> Props for these two things. <laughs> At least they did serial killers right. Oh my goodness. Okay. So Jack was charged with 11 murders in Austria and the jury found him guilty. Thank God. Yeah. I don't think it was like. 100% all of them said guilty but whatever the uh not the word proportion is not correct but whatever like the numbers were like of guilty percentage. yeah that the percentage it was enough in Austria for a guilty okay. conviction Good. love that yeah so he was diagnosed with a narcissistic personality disorder no kidding yeah. <laughs> he was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole on June 20th 1994 he died by suicide in prison that same day using his shoelaces and a cord from his pants with the same knot that had been found on all the strangled sex workers that he had killed what a coward yeah just didn't couldn't face the consequences of his actions oh my gosh now on to what they found on ghost adventures yes 
So, okay, I don't, this is not, they did not say this on Ghost Adventures. So when they were in Elisa's room using a spirit box, they caught a man's voice with an accent that honestly kind of sounded, it was a foreign accent. And if it was anyone, a known person in the hotel, I would assume it was probably him. They, Zach asked if Ramirez was in the room and the voice said no. And then later they also asked like who's in here and they caught a man with an accent, similar voice saying Elisa Lamb. Like they caught the full name. Mm -hmm. And then a woman's voice also happened, but a man said her name. Mm -hmm. But it was very clear, I feel like. So they never said, oh, it's Jack, but they also hadn't talked about him yet. Mm -hmm. So then later on second half of the episode when they were talking about him uh billy one of the investigators used a device the paranormal puck two device i don't even know how to explain it it's another one that generates words and questions and stuff uh he asked who is with patty because they had a psychic in the room her name's patty and the device said jack so that's interesting to me you know if they're in the room and it says that they also were on the seventh floor near the room and zach was like i'm really scared and then you hear like a blood curdling scream distanced Mm -hmm. which I don't think you could hear on any of the other cameras anywhere else. So they're like, probably not outside. Like, if no other cameras picked it up. Yeah. Uh, then Zach was alone in Jack's room by himself using another device. And his he, like, turns towards the sink because he hears a noise towards the sink. It's off. He turns back to look at the device. And then he hears something else. He turns back around. This faucet is on by itself. Mm-hmm which is old. That's how we know that that hasn't been renovated. <laughs> so because yeah. The sink looked, it was old and like- The sinks was, are in the rooms. Yeah. yeah. And it was one of those old, like, it, like you actually have to like, it's pretty hard to turn, honestly. It looks hard to turn. it's kind of like ours that are kind of hard yeah. to turn. And Zach showed it. He was like, you have to turn this thing to like get that to come on. He was freaked out by it, which well, it's not hard to freak him out. But <laughs> anyways, then Zach is later using- his weird device it's like a processor thing and he said can you tell me your name and you hear a voice say i'm jack like through it which is honestly similar to the voice that said elisa Mm -hmm. and then this is stupid but funny but then zach asked because earlier someone felt like they were getting touched and zach said who were you touching earlier and the response that he thinks and says is your mom and then zach said is this spirit being a smart ass I don't even remember what it sounds like. It definitely didn't say your mom. I mean, no, not when you hear it at first. Then when you replay it with like the subtitle, then you can kind of hear it. But like, I don't think it's saying your mom. He was literally like, Zach was like, is this spirit being a smart ass by saying that he was touching my mom? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, okay. I kind of recant because I was thinking in my brain, I was like, this man or like whoever it is from like, if they're from the 90s or whatever, is not going to say your mom. But then I was thinking about when we were at Waverly and the girl had the spirit she box. She had like taught app, spirits how to and cuss. She, yeah, the spirits were cussing and they said that she taught them yeah, how to like, cuss. Yeah, she was like, who taught you that? And they were like, you. And she was <laughs> like, you're right. Like, So maybe. <laughs> but your I mom. Doubt it. <laughs> Jack Unterweger learned your mom jokes just to use it on Zach Bacon. You heard it here, folks. Not on Ghost Adventures. You heard it here. here. I, sometimes I don't like Zach, but sometimes he says funny stuff. I can hear it in his voice. Yeah. Is this spirit? He literally said <laughs> Anyway, okay. We're almost done with this part, and then we're going to go on to other stuff that I thought was going to be the longer part of the episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. We're in a weird mood. Yeah. So then Zach left that device in the room by itself and he left. And they caught a couple of voices coming through that were pretty clear. Like they caught one saying, Aaron, help me. Like that you can hear. And then they caught another one with an accent saying, I'm in my room. Pound the door. No one else is in the room with him. Mm-hmm. That's weird. And then Aaron later went in to take a photo of the room. And then he and Zach hear a man screaming down the hallway. Also, not on any of the other cameras. So it's just kind of like weird. Yeah, that one reminded me of that one from Destination Fear that was like not as bad, but like it was like multiple pitches and like kind of freaky. So anyway, those are the serial killers and what they found. There wasn't much else on Ghost Adventures that I actually thought. The one thing I appreciated was that they included some room numbers. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's kind of interesting. So now I'm going to talk about the other, like, all the deaths. Honestly, I listed all of them out. They're not super long, but I found some information. And most of them, you could find the newspaper clippings of their death announcements. So maybe I'll post a couple on the Instagram. But So the first death reported at the Cecil Hotel was in 19... 27 on the evening of january 22nd percy ormond cook committed suicide by a shot in the head inside of his hotel room after trying but failing to reconcile his wife with his wife and child so cook had been a real estate agent dealer in providence rhode island and had left a note addressed to the press uh, saying that he had spent forty thousand dollars in the last six months in an attempt to buy happiness yeah it's really sad It just Mm -hmm. gets sadder and sadder, just so everyone knows it's just going to get sadder and sadder. His note continued on that Cook had been separated from his wife and son for a few months, and he was stuck in a feeling of loneliness until he decided this was his only way out. Cook also had left a letter for his wife that informed her of his intention and that he had been working up the courage to go through with his plan for more than a week, which is just terrible. Yeah. So he was 52 years old at the time, and he was technically still alive after the shot and they took him to the receiving hospital i think that's the name of the actual hospital but the doctors said he only had a slight chance of survival and recovery and the death records revealed that he died later that evening that's really all i have on yeah i don't have much on these people (laughs) but it's just like i feel like their stories should be told like need to be heard important but so the next death that occurred was sadly another suicide on november 19th 1931 it was a man named wk norton who had checked in under the name james willies from chicago he was actually from manhattan beach in california and had been reported missing from his home Uh, he was 46 and was found dead in his hotel room after ingesting poison capsules there's a few of them that Mm -hmm. took poison um several of the capsules were found in his vest pockets and that's how they found out that he had taken his own life uh according to reports norton had only been dead for a few hours before a maid uh, had found him which so many of these maids found them and that no i i could not work how can you work continue Mm -hmm. to work there uh how they discovered his true identity, because he checked in under a different name, was that there were several checks made out to Mrs. M.C. Norton found in his clothing. So they just kind of tied it back because he had been mm-hmm. reported missing. Uh, the next death, in September of 1932, a 25-year-old man named Benjamin Dodick. Also, I don't know if I'm saying these names correctly. I'm guessing. But he was found dead a few hours after he had checked in with a bullet fired into his right temple. The detectives couldn't really find any reason for why he did like his reasoning behind it he didn't leave any notes uh he did have some papers on him that investigated uh, indicated to investigators where he had formerly lived and another maid this one her name was put in but mrs carrie brown was who discovered his body yeah so he didn't have anything on him really at least so they could find out where he was from and point him towards his family but this next one also just terrible and i like all these are horrific ways to die this one just like really hurts i 
can't imagine. I can't imagine any of this, but I can't imagine. This is just so gruesome. But in July of 1934, Louis D. Borden, a former sergeant in the Army Medical Corps, at the age of 53, was found dead in his hotel room. The investigating officers found a razor by his body and his throat slit. Uh... There was also goodbye notes that told investigators that he had ended his life because of poor health, which is just so sad. Mm -hmm. But he also left a note directing that Mrs. Edna Hazener, Hazener, I don't know how he knows her, but she be the sole beneficiary of the little that he has left and to notify her and included her P.O. box in city and state where the newspaper, which the newspaper did print. I don't love that they printed that. That's not good. Yeah. Hey, this is where this lady is that's getting money. Money. But he did say... What little I, I don't yeah. know. I just don't know how to end any. I'm just gonna keep yeah, going okay. and just moving. Keep going. And they're just sad. But the next one is Grace E. Magro. I couldn't find too much about her, but Magro fell from the ninth story window at the Seats Hotel in March of 1937. Her phone was broken by telephone wires that she landed in, and they wrapped around her body. Wait, her phone was broken no her fall <laughs> did i say phone yeah oh that's her okay. fall was broken by telephone wires that she landed in they wrapped around her body uh, she was taken to the georgia street receiving hospital and she passed away later there uh, investigators and police could not determine whether it was an accident or a suicide mm. so no one knows i hate that i, I know. hate not knowing yeah it's terrible either way yeah yeah so this next one this next one they did talk about on ghost adventures mm-hmm I'll talk about that, I guess, later. <laughs> I don't know. Um, this, this person's name is Roy Thompson. In 1938, in January, he was a fireman in the United States Marine Corps. He committed suicide by jumping from his room, 1431, which is set on Ghost Adventures, um, so on the 14th floor of the hotel, and was found on in the skylight of a neighboring building, which a lot of these Ooh. just happen on neighboring buildings, and I'm just kind of yeah. like, um, according to records, Thompson had been at the Cecil for a few weeks. Uh, so on Ghost Adventures, they took the psychic Patty into his room. Honestly, I think she kind of went there on her own. I don't think actually. I think she kind of just like went to the room and she immediately was drawn to the window in there, which is unfortunate. And she was just like, she started opening it and was like, I want to get out. Like that's what she mm-hmm. was feeling. And then she sat down, like they made her sit down, like get away from the window. And she just kept saying, sad, sad, sad. And then they had this SLS camera, which is kind of like a mapping thing for anyone that doesn't know. It shows like figure, like stick figures kind of on it. And they showed one, like it was like over her, like it popped up over her at that time, which is near the window. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. I think points too. I don't know. Something about this hotel burnt, makes people go to the windows and it's just like horrific so the next death that occurred was Irwin C. Neblett who died at the age of 39 he was found in his hotel room after ingesting poison in May of 1939 so he was 39 died in 1939 according to police reports Neblett was found unconscious on the floor by by a maid another maid who called the police and shortly after they got there he had passed away so didn't have much of a chance but at least she did what she could and like tried Mm -hmm. i just i can't imagine finding no that's just terrible uh the next death was dorothy seeger so this was in january of 1940 45 year old dorothy seeger who i believe was a teacher couldn't find much about her but I called her teacher seeger so she was reported by the los angeles times to be near death and after ingesting poison at the hotel another poison I don't who's selling poison to these people like I'm and I know that it's not just like poison like yeah it's like like other things yeah but but goodness 
there were no other updates on her conditions in the paper, but her death was listed on a website apparently called findadeath.com. And it was listed as January 12th, 1940. So right after that, I'm sure. So that's an awful website. Yeah. Like, I guess there's a need for it, but it's bad. Well, do you remember when you talked about where someone made social media for, for, for dead, dead people? people? I don't. Who was that? I don't know. I'll have to look at my notes yeah. or something later. But social media for dead people. I do remember but, that. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. Okay. Um, this next one is terrible. And I will say Ghost Avengers did something so insensitive for this one. And you'll know in a second. But so this one, sorry, it just touched Sydney's <laughs> <laughs> This next death, not a suicide, a murder, basically. So in September 1944, not 1994, 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Purcell uh, was staying in a room at the Cecil which was ended up being directly across from where Richard Ramirez stayed. They didn't give the room numbers for these. Probably a reason for that. But she was staying there with her 38-year-old boyfriend. She was 19. He was 38. Gross. Yeah. Uh, he was a shoe salesman named Ben Levine. Shoe salesman. That is, he's twice her age. It's disgusting. Anyway. Ugh. Ben was apparently not aware that Dorothy was pregnant. And he was taking a nap or sleeping. I don't know. He was just sleeping and Dorothy went into labor and in her oh testimony she, later. So she was like really pregnant. Yeah. But they didn't know. But you know, there's that show like yeah, I didn't like, know I was pregnant. That happens. Like, yeah. But oh my gosh. Yeah. She didn't know she was pregnant and didn't want, she, in her testimony later said she did not want to disrupt Ben while he was sleeping. Disrupt him, girl. Yeah. Didn't want First to wake all, him up. He sucks. I don't know him, but he sucks. Yeah. Just sleeping. I mean, I feel like even if I'm a heavy sleeper, I would hear someone in labor like, it's not girl. a quiet thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> so she's in labor. And then while he's sleep, Ben is sleeping, she gives birth to a baby boy. And she did not give him a name. What just happened? I'm sorry. I just thought I saw something move in that corner. No, you did not. I did. Stop, Sydney. Stop. <laughs> I'm not I'm facing joking. it. Stop. <laughs> I thought I saw something on the ground. No, you did not. I did. No, she did not. She did. There's no. I mean, I was hearing the kid downstairs. <laughs> crying no you did not see something on the floor no you did not stop no i'm sorry you know dad you can leave this in but oh my gosh i really did it's fine no you did not sydney our bedrooms are over there i'm facing it i'm facing it too kind of i'm sorry our apartment is definitely haunted and usually we just ignore it we <laughs> never seen me. something. Oh, it's, why did I did not need to know that? <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm really crying right now. Okay, we have to move on. It's fine. We have okay. to move on. Man, oh my god, that was a terrible timing, Sydney. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Uh, why did you have to look over there? <laughs> okay, anyways, back to this terrible story. One bad thing to back to another bad thing. So Dorothy gave birth to an unnamed baby boy, and she assumed thought her baby was dead. I don't know why you make that assumption. You like, just kind of have to clear maybe, out the lungs at like, first, you know? She thought it was like a stillborn. Like, she thought it was a stillbirth. I don't know. I It didn't say. She just kind of thought it was or the maybe, baby was dead. Yeah, maybe he just wasn't Had crying. crying yet, yeah. which you have to clear out their lungs at first. So, logically, not logically, she threw her baby out the window. On Ghost Adventures, they literally showed a dead baby on the ground. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? Messed up. I, that's one thing that I'm just like, they do a lot of like creepy stuff, but that's just uncalled. That's so uncalled for. That's not creepy. That's just, 
messed up. Yeah. Yeah. So the baby landed on the roof of a neighboring building. So terrible. The LA Times reported that the county autopsy surgeon Frank R. Webb declared the baby had been born alive because his lungs had been filled with air. Mm. So it's horrible. Dorothy was charged with murder and was in a hospital prison ward. Um, Three psychiatrists later ended up testifying that she was mentally confused. Yeah. At the time of the murder and in January of 1945, Dorothy was found not guilty by reason of insanity which honestly probably probably true yeah uh and she was admitted luckily though she was admitted into a hospital for psychiatric treatment following the trial so like they weren't just like you're insane you're free they're like we actually want to get you help like yeah like that was terrible plea is good for people that actually need need the mental help yeah and not for people that just want to get out of jail yeah i i just keep looking at that corner now i'm really really trying to ignore it i'm really (laughs) sorry okay we're going to move on to the next one. Yeah. So that that was just a terrible thing. So this next one is Robert Smith. I couldn't find much about him. This one's really short. Uh, in November 1947, 35-year-old Robert Smith jumped to his death from one of the seventh floor windows at the Cecil Hotel. That is all I have on him, literally. There was no newspaper thing about mm-hmm. it that I could find. Uh, moving on, the next one is Helen Gurney. Uh, also a bit hard to find information on. I could, like, one of the documentaries, I think, like, had a clip of her newspaper article on, like, but it was kind of hard. You couldn't see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I couldn't find the whole, the newspaper article anywhere. And yeah. so I was, like, trying to piece it together. But Helen Gurney was a 55-year-old woman who worked as an employee at a stationery firm in San Francisco. On October 22, 1954, Helen jumped from her room, 704, and actually landed on the Cecil Marquis, which Ghost Adventures showed, and it had a sound and everything. I remember the it sound. It was terrible. Yeah. Ooh, that makes me blood boil. They gotta stop I was doing so that. mad. I was like, you do not have to show all of this. Like, you did not have to like, do that. Like, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so according to the guest registry, she had registered a week before under the name Margaret Brown. That's all I found on her. Mm-hmm. I I tried so hard to find more, but I couldn't. Uh, the next one was Julia Francis Moore. Uh, this one's also about someone jumping... I really, there's so many of them and that mm-hmm. just makes me sad. So Julia Moore was 50 years old at the time of her death. On February 11th, 1962, without leaving a note behind, Moore jumped from her eighth floor window and landed uh, in a second story interior light well, which is like, I think like, you know, on like house shows and stuff where they have like an indoor like little like plant area that like is open at the top. No. You've <laughs> never seen one? I'm okay. sure I have. I can't picture it. They're kind of, I feel like I've seen them in like 70s style houses that is like in the inside of their house, there's like a glass little room and it's like outdoors though and there's no roof over it. It's like, I okay. cannot picture it. I'll show you about it later. Cool. <laughs> so anyway. It was kind of one of those in a different building. It's like basically to provide light and ventilation to mm-hmm. other parts of the room. So there's like no roof, lots of windows. Anyways, so Moore did leave behind some possessions. No notes, but left behind some possessions. It included a bus ticket from St. Louis, 59 cents and change, and Illinois bank book showing that she had a balance of $1,800. So not much. Mm-hmm. Just left it behind. But this next one, this one's sad. It's a double whammy. It's not fun. Uh. They occurred at the same time. On October 12, 1962, 27-year-old Pauline Otten had an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Ladies, I don't know if we should marry a guy named Dewey. I was going to say, don't be that upset. Yeah. But. <laughs> I'm really sorry yeah. to anyone named Dewey. I don't know. I have no, I have nothing against anyone. I just think of anyone. the Dewey decimal system. <laughs> like, I have nothing against anyone named Dewey. 
Except this guy, he kind of sucks, I guess. Oh. If he's fighting with her, you know? I don't know much about I him. I don't know. He could be a great man. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, they were on the ninth floor of the hotel. Uh, Dewey left the room, and I hate saying its name. And Pauline, I don't have to say it anymore. Pauline wrote a suicide note while he was out of the room and jumped to her death during that time that he was out of the room. Unfortunately... I can't imagine having Mm -hmm. the timing of this. A 65-year-old man, George Giannini or something like that, was on the street below at the same exact time, and Pauline landed on George, which killed them both instantly. There were no witnesses that saw it. That's insane. At least that stuck around. So he was, like, the only one on the street? I guess. At least that, like, claimed to have seen That was there. Like, maybe someone saw it and ran away. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But that's you don't want to get more in trouble because, like, it. when I've heard this story, I imagined like more people a crowded around. street. Yeah, that's crazy. There are apparently no witnesses, and the police investigators. So they they originally thought they had jumped together, mm. but then they quickly ruled that out because George had had his hands in his pockets at the time, and his shoes were still on. And if he had jumped, one his hands wouldn't have been in his pockets. Most who jumped, like no one would do that, and his shoes would have fallen off on impact. Like, her shoes had fallen off. Oh, okay. So they were like, he didn't jump with her. He had just been walking here. That's also, crazy. the age different. Like, yeah. also, she was with, like, clearly, mm. the person she was with knew. If she, there was someone else. Yeah, yeah, like, would have known that. So that's all I really found on that one. But it's mm-hmm. just, like, the timing of that. It's this poor man, This poor woman who's really struggling, and then this poor man who just happened to be walking there. Oh, my gosh. It's tragic. Okay, this next one's also rough. Pigeon Goldie, who, this one's also really gross, like, graphic, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear this one. But this is the murder of 65-year-old Pigeon Goldie Osgood. Uh, Pigeon Goldie, Pigeon Goldie, I feel weird saying that, but over and over, but I'm just Mm going to keep saying it, was a retired telephone operator who was well-known in the area around the seasonal because she would feed pigeons in the nearby Pershing Park, or Square, not Pershing Square. And so that's how she got her nickname Pigeon. I think her name was Goldie Osgood. Mm-hmm. And they just added Pigeon. But she had been living in her room 1016 for six years at the Cecil. And unfortunately, terribly, on the evening of June 4th, 1964, a hotel staff member who was delivering a new telephone directories discovered Osgood had been murdered in her ransacked room. Uh-huh. Like, it's just, it's worse and worse. But she had been raped, stabbed, and strangled. And her beloved L.A. Dodgers cap that she was always wearing and a pa- and a paper sack of bird seed were found next to her. Like, this sweet it's old so boy. terrible. And Osgood's autopsy determined that she had been choked to death with a hand towel. A hand, like, oh. Um, friends of Mrs. Osgood had reported that they had literally seen her a few minutes before like whoa it hadn't been long since people had been around her like that's it was fast and mm, it just there's more and i just it makes me angry so there had also been two other women murdered downtown nearby in the last two months before this so police were trying to find a connection between that and this because one of the women who was about 50 years old mrs viva brown had been assaulted and stabbed to death on may 16th so this had happened pigeon goldie had died on june 4th Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Brown had been assaulted and stabbed to death on May 16th, about a block away at a different hotel. And then another woman, who I couldn't find a name, was also known for taking care of birds in a different park, MacArthur Park, was stabbed to death on April 29th. So literally three months in a row. Yeah. And a woman, older woman in a hotel, and then an older wo- a woman who 
fed birds. birds. Like, yeah. makes sense. So there was a man arrested for Pigeon Goldie's death. And just kind of makes me angry later on. But he was 29-year-old Jacques B. Ellinger, I think. He had been seen walking around Pershing Square, where Goldie would feed birds, wearing blood-stained clothes. He was charged with Osgood's murder, but was acquitted of the crime later when he told investigators that he did know her, but and had been in the vicinity of the hotel at the time of the murder, but he denied any knowledge of the murder, so he was released. That's not how it works. <laughs> no. And I couldn't find more on that. Like, I'm sure if I really dug, I could find maybe a bit more. Like, but- I'm assuming they had other reasons to let him go. But he but was like, covered in blood walking around the area. And it's like, I know who she is. And like, I, I was near there, but I'm just covered in blood. <laughs> I didn't do it. That is not how acquittal works. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. That man just got to go. I don't hear anything else about him. No. But, and to this day, her Pigeon Goldie's murder remains unsolved. And they let that man go. I feel like maybe they should have investigated a little bit harder on that. And maybe they did, and I couldn't Mm -hmm. find it, but what the heck? What are the odds? That's How else did this man get blood on him? I want to know. I need to know why he was Yeah, can we give the backstory of the blood on your clothes, dude? (laughs) (laughs) Who would say covered in blood? Yeah, I was around there, and I know who she is, but me. Oh, this is someone else's blood. (laughs) 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 Oh, this? No. You're in a city. It's not like he's like on a farm or something, like slaughtering yeah. animal, like slaughtering meat. Like I, there's no what? reason for blood why? on you. <laughs> why are you covered in blood? There's no reason for blood on you. Oh my gosh. Anyway, that's all I've had on that one. But are you kidding? Like, come on. Ridiculous. Yeah. So this next one, there's not too much information on her. They actually don't know her real name. They say it's Allison Lowell. So on December 20th, 1975, uh, this woman jumped slash fell from the 12th floor window on to the second floor roof of the Cecil. Uh, she was unidentified. No one knew who she was. She had been registered at the Cecil from four days prior on December 16th at 12.05 under the name Allison Lowell and had been staying in room 327. Um, with her, she had a Greyhound bus ticket from Bakersfield, California on December 15th, which was found on her dresser in her room. She had no ID papers or anything like it to point investigators towards who she really was because I don't think they could find anyone with that name. Uh, there was a reported description of her, so I'm just going to read that because I don't, I, honestly, this could not be 100% correct, but she, what, her age was estimated to be between 20 and 30 years old. I think people thought she was likely like 23, I think 24. She was approximately 5'4", 118 pounds. She had brown hair and brown hazel eyes. She did have some clothes with her, but not a lot, like a couple sweaters, a few pair of pants, and like a purse and a yellow metal key. I thought that was very specific, but she reportedly had some scars on her wrist, which is terrible okay so you said she jumped from the 12th floor yeah do you know if she jumped from a room or like the hallway because you said she stayed on the third floor yeah i don't know probably the hallway then okay i mean or like the fire escape or something yeah somewhere okay. which on ghost adventures they did they were where they were in a hallway somewhere i don't remember what floor and they were communicating with someone that was like window like fire like mm-hmm. i don't know which there's plenty okay. like somewhere sorry no you're good i was just curious yeah they were able to get her fingerprints, but I don't think they got anything from that. And there were no dental records that they could really pull from. And so to this way, this, to this day, this woman has not been identified. Sad. Yeah. So we're getting to the end. There's a couple more, but they're also unnamed people, which makes me sad. So 
This one couldn't find much on it, but on September 1st, 1992, an unnamed 20 to 30 year old black man was found in the alley behind the Caesar Hotel. Police were unable to determine if the man had fallen, jumped, or been pushed from the 15th floor of the hotel. The man was about 5 foot 9 inches and weighed about 185 pounds. He was wearing blue sweatpants and a black sweatshirt over a gray t-shirt, and he's never been identified. But the fact that they can't find who these people are, like, there's no records, and it's just like, ugh. And then, again, the last death, besides Elise Lamb, who happened between these two, Mm -hmm. which Sydney's going to talk about next week. Be patient. Come back. We will get to it. (laughs) Yeah. So this last death that occurred was on June 13th, 2015, and was an unidentified 28-year-old man who was found outside of the hotel. Many suspected that he had committed suicide by jumping from the hotel, but the county coroner reported that the cause of death could not be determined. And the guy, an A guy who presented himself as the assistant manager of the Cecil Hotel, reported that the man who had died was not a registered guest of the Cecil. So there was no other details provided by him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, anyone could walk in there. Yeah. And clearly there's windows in the hallways. Like, you can see them and stuff. So also, I'm sure it's not too hard to get into some of those rooms. Like I guarantee it's not. Yeah. So <laughs> that's all the terrible deaths. I do have a couple pop culture-y things that mm-hmm. were online about it. Yeah. That are maybe a little palate cleanser, not super great, but just to end us off on a less sad note, I guess. So in on March 27, 1987, the band U2 performed a live concert at on the rooftop of a neighboring building and the Cecil was the backdrop of it. And they recorded that performance to be a music video for the song where the streets have no name. So they were, that was a music video. Uh, there was another music video for blink 182 that it was a backdrop again. Mm -hmm. I don't know a song or anything, but, uh, the Cecil was also the inspiration for season five hotel of American horror story in 2015. Mm hmm. I don't watch American Horror neither, Story. But I think I watched one episode once and then I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but don't hate us for that. I, it's okay. <laughs> we like scary stuff, but we like ghost scary stuff. Like, I like real yeah. ghost scary stuff. I don't, I don't like, like jump scares. No. <laughs> and then uh, the second season of the show, Angel, uh, there was a hotel called the Hyperion Hotel, which is reportedly based on the Cecil. Maybe I'll watch it. I have to finish watching I Buffy for that. Angel is a spinoff show of Buffy. God, okay, I have heard of it. <laughs> I, I haven't finished put Buffy. That I really, I really need to. But uh, and then this is more wide known, well known. But several documentaries and series have been filmed there. Uh, ghost Adventures was the first people to investigate a ghost thing mm-hmm. there with no one else in the building. And in 2020, and then Netflix as most of you know, probably is, has a four-part docuseries, Crime Scene, The Vanishing of the Hotel, about Elisa Lamb, which I'm sure Sydney is going to reference a lot yeah. in the next episode. Also, yeah. our downstairs neighbors play the piano now. Oh my gosh, I really hope you can't hear it. Yeah. It's really, it's really loud. <laughs> but, but anyways, um, that was a bummer. Hopefully. Next week, it's going to be a bummer too, mm-hmm. but you're going to get all of so many details about Elisa Lamb. The second the second half of the duo the duo also um please pray for us in our apartment because i'm so i'm really scared we have to go to bed soon not soon but later i'm Um, really scared yeah so i wish i would have 
No, I don't look, wish What it, did it look like? It looked like something on the ground, like flesh color. Nah. <laughs> I did. I think you're making it. I think, you, I, I think your eyes made it up. We're going to go with my eyes made it yeah. up. I'm not making it up. I swear I saw something. <laughs> I want to say that you... Your brain made up something that you didn't actually see. I want to say that, so. Okay. Ooh. We want to say it, so we're going to say it. We might have to just double check everything tonight before we go to bed. Check all the closets and everything. Okay. <laughs> so I'm scared. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> okay. How well, do we end it? Um, <laughs> follow us on Instagram at Something Sick Podcast, on Twitter at A Sick Podcast, and now on TikTok at hey! Something Sick Podcast. And if you want to email us some suggestions or your thoughts um, at Something Sick Podcast at gmail.com, please do. Heck yeah. Please follow us on TikTok. Please. We like TikTok. <laughs> and. Anyways. We'll see you next week for part two of our duo. Part deux. Part deux. I don't speak French. <laughs>